in light of having the children in here this time, I have tried to make accommodations uh, in, the, in the length of things and, and the gory detail work. So um, we'll make some basic observations from Luke 2 this morning and make the necessary adjustments, hopefully. Um, it, it is of interest by Providence. I was reading on the Scottish Reformation a little bit earlier um, this week, and I mentioned to the guys in Calvin Club in an email thread that I opened that in the early Scottish tradition, in the early Scottish Reformed Church, if your children were brought service, they had to be able to sit all the time, complete silence, be able to follow along. And they went through like a little interview process on like how much the retention is at that point. And if your children were too loud, you got financially fined. Um, and then if you were pagan and you weren't attending Lord's Day and your children were running up and down and outside the streets um, and you could hear it, obviously, without the air conditioning, the church doors and windows, if possible, were open, and these kids were a disturbance in the street, um, you also got fined um, for having your kids out in the streets when they ought have been in worship. Nobody will be getting fined this morning for uh, the noise that is. But I do want to make a few observations um, out of Luke 2 this morning um, from perhaps just a little bit of a different perspective. Not to be novel, but um, just to look at Luke 2 2 a little bit differently uh, by way of a detail um, that maybe is here, hopefully I can persuade you, is something worth considering. Um, Particularly verse 8. It it struck me in rereading it this week uh, of um, just the the Christmas narrative uh, What's going on here, rereading it and looking over some details of it that were of interest to myself, and I want to share that beginning in verse 8. As you notice, um, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Um, Thinking on the shepherds is something that we probably don't do a whole lot of. At at the point of Christmas, uh, our Christmas story, where the kids make a Christmas play and so forth, that's usually the highlight of the shepherds that they get. Someone is a shepherd in the play, because we all know shepherds were there. But there is perhaps more to it than just kids dressing up like the part of the shepherds in the play. Um, They actually play quite a significant role here um, in in carrying on the load of the narrative in, in the wonderful story of Advent. If you notice, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. So we, we sing that, we read that, we, we pretend that at our Christmas time, but it's a significant detail that sets up the entire birth narrative. We sing it in one of the most celebrated Christmas hymns or Christmas songs, um, Silent Night. Right? So, so you enter into that whole context of thinking about the birth of our Lord in a silent and sacred setting. And we get that from the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. I want to draw your attention just for a few moments to the concept of solitude or the idea of silence. I I don't know how many of you make time to be alone. If it's out in the field, if for some of you perhaps it is during the hunting season, some of you get out. I know our own John Parker killed a deer this year. Um, way to go, John. I saw a picture evidence of it. You're sitting a long time in a deer blind, right? It's quiet. Or, or you make time to be in the woods for solitude and silence. Perhaps some of us do. But I think the, the, the tide that moves in culture is many of us don't. 
as I was reading the text again about the shepherd's experience, setting up the entire narrative that is to come about the birth of our Lord, we have these men who are sitting and watching their flocks by night. What strikes me before the episode unfolds, in my mind, I'm asking the question, what is on their minds? Again, maybe you'd think, probably a ton of things. Yeah, probably so. If, if you're in a moment of, of quietness, an extended period of time of solitude, what's on your mind? You sit in quiet, and what begins to flood in your mind? What are the many things you begin to think about? Of course, solitude, as I was thinking of it in light of the, uh, of the shepherds, being in the fields and watching over their flocks by night, the entire setup and narrative of the birth story In my mind, I'm thinking, a shepherd has the discipline of solitude down. Right? I I mean, he's sitting there, or they are sitting there, dispersed throughout, watching over a flock of sheep by night. And not just by night, but also by day. So for hours upon hours, every day, shepherds are surrounded by nature and creatures that cannot verbally communicate to them. I mean, they bleat, but they don't talk. So, in many ways, the work of a shepherd is a lone ranger. He has a life, in many ways, in solitude. And then here in this night in Luke 2, there's a starry sky, and once again, the shepherd is sitting alone in solitude. Put that in contrast to our lives. This is at least how I viewed it this week. We are often, I think you would agree, very preoccupied with everyday noise. Busyness of all kinds, phones that we never put down, social media that we're constantly checking, contributing to, posting on, or if we're not engaged in all of the busyness of work and so forth, we just fill our time with various forms of entertainment. We are not used to silence. I think why we're not used to silence, perhaps, is because we don't like the contemplative revelations that come with it. Again, that's the key to a time of solitude, or the key to a time of silence, is the contemplative revelations of our own life. So perhaps that's the point of filling our day with noise, ambient noise. Noise is good, Silence is bad. Why? Because perhaps we don't like what we hear in the silence. You see, that's the irony of silence, is just how loud it can actually be. So instead of hearing it, we'd rather hear nothingness by volume. I guess what I'm trying to drive at, in great contrast to the shepherds sitting and watching their flocks by night, this totally holy, silent night, nothing going on, is that it's hard for us to think in their mindset because the spirit of our age is one of distraction and diversion. And I don't think it's just happenstance. I think there are spiritual tones there. A life of distraction and diversion. 
a life to putting away solitude and silence because we don't want to hear what the silence has to say. Again, one modern philosopher speaks of celebrity for a portion of time and goes on finally to conclude that the celebrities are, quote, the high priests of cultural distraction. We the people sit and watch. We the people sit and worship. We the people sit and receive at their hand. The celebrities as high priests, what do they serve us? What do they provide for us? What do we receive from them? Distraction. One author, Don Whitney, perhaps you've read his book, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He writes this very interestingly. Again, one silent night. He writes, quote, One of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. We need to realize, he says, the addiction we have to noise. Let me read that one more time and just think about what he's getting at and think about it in your own life. One of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation. Notice the word there. Temptation. To do what? To avoid quietness. We need to realize the addiction we have to noise. What struck me in that statement is, why would he label the avoidance of quietness a temptation? In other words, why do we want to avoid quietness? This is where I want to push forward with you this morning, just for a few moments out of Luke 2. I think the answer is something along these lines. We want to avoid quietness because solitude and silence is the context in which our minds move forward to think about our place in this life, the reality of our death, and the life that is to come. Why do we want to avoid silence? Why do we want to fill our life with noise? Because silence is the context in which our minds move forward, thinking about our place in this life, thinking about the reality of our death and of our life in the age to come. You see, if we think a little deeper about our everyday existence, each of us, just for a moment, if you think just a little deeper, I think in truth, we would find that work, music, entertainment, social media, even, perhaps even more so right now, politics, serves as a way to avoid thinking more deeply about our lives. And even more, there are ways of thinking less and less about the reality of our death. As I was thinking about this and putting this all down this week, I thought it, talking about the reality of death doesn't seem like a very Merry Christmas moment. But if you think of the advent of our Lord and why he came, as we sang even just a few moments ago, it's because of the reality of mortality that he came. But we avoid thinking about our own mortality so much, so often, that we fill that void, instead of having silence and meditation, we fill that void with noise, ambient noise. Again, 
Think about the shepherds just for a moment and the reality of being in a field by night. Perhaps it was that they were thinking of their own mortality. The reality that binds us to them and they to us in this text is our shared mortality. Let's read the text just briefly and notice the mortality of the text. Because just for a brief aside, we can often think of the biblical narrative or the biblical characters as people, kind of, but much more characters, less human. But again, what binds us to them and they to us is a shared mortality. They have the same fundamental concerns that we do. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. That seems, if you just slow down and you just read it as a human being, that seems like a very reasonable response. You're there under the cover of darkness. Sheep are spread out on the hillside around you, perhaps sleeping, a few bleeding, very quiet night. And all of a sudden, boom, the glory of the Lord shines around you, and it's no longer quite so silent. The fact that they were, or as the song says, shepherds quake at the sight, or the idea of being filled with fear is a very natural and normal and human response. Why? Because the immediacy of what they probably perceived to be their own death. Human mortality. Fear seized upon them. It wasn't just the normal sheep, the night of watching over sheep. All of a sudden, things radically changed. And they were filled with fear. Very human, very normal response of a mortal to what seems to be the end. They have no reason, no knowledge as to why this appearance is here. And all of the other contemplations, for whatever they were, whatever they weren't, in the minds of a shepherd in the middle of a night, watching over some sheep under the stars, at that moment everything had changed. And fear overwhelmed them. Fear of the unknown. Fear of, this is my last moment watching over some sheep at night. But you see, it's not just them who has life change on a dime. Life changes quickly. And there's not always a moment to make spiritual adjustments. It doesn't always end well where it slowly winds down. And you kind of take stock of your own life. And you think once again about your faith and the gospel, Christ as your Savior. You don't always lay for a long time on a bed looking over your life and calling everyone into the room and making all of your necessary adjustments to each person's life. And to the shepherds at that moment, their mortality was so real to them, they were overwhelmed with fear. Life was ending. And they didn't know exactly by whose hand, other than the shining of glory in the place of sin, 
Notice, again, in the text, as they were there, keeping watch by night, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I want to add one text to that, Hebrews 9, 27, just for our own sake. Each one of us knows this text. We were able to preach through the book of Hebrews a season of, a season of time ago. But Hebrews 9.27 is a good reminder. It says, quote, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You pair that with the shepherds here, and that moment seems, once again, to be upon them. They're going to die, probably inevitably, from this experience. And then after that comes judgment. Or perhaps on another side of things, you have heard perhaps the saying as it goes, If you live long enough, you will die. That's the truth of either life changing in a moment or you just living out your existence. Have you taken stock? Have you spent time in solitude to consider your own mortality, your role in this life, Death, it is certain, whether you live long enough to die or you experience it in a moment. Do you know where your soul rests? Will it go over into the age that is to come through Christ? Or will it not? And it's this point of honest evaluation and solitude of our own mortality where the promise of Christmas meets with grace and provision. Look in the portion of the text, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. Right? Overwhelmed with, we're about to die. But the angel says, no, you're not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. Right? It would be a fearful thing if I was bringing you bad news. But I'm not. I'm bringing you good news. News of a great joy. That will be, and notice the particular announcement here at the end of verse 10. It's for all the mortals. It's for all the people. It's good news for every person in this condition. What condition? The same as the shepherds. I'm bringing this, this announcement We're going to die. I don't even know what this is. Who are these band of people in this glory that shines around us in the middle of the night that we've never experienced before? We're probably going to die from this. Fear fills with them. And then the angel says, fear not. Don't be filled with fear. How could we respond to this without fear? Because I'm bringing you good news, not bad news. Good news for me? Good news for the few of us? No, no, no. Good news for everybody who's like you. What's the condition we find ourselves in? Mortality. Humanity. Notice as the text then continues what the good news is, and you know it well, but just look at the text. See the simple observations. Don't be filled with fear. Because I'm bringing you good news. It's a great joy. It's for all the mortals, all the people, everybody. 
Verse 11, what is it? What are the, what's the good news? What's the great joy? What should we tell everybody about? It's this, for unto you, humans, mortals, for unto you is born this very day in the city of David. Look at the title. A Savior. Do you see how mortality sits at the center of this text? Mortality kicks in in the moment of contemplation and an angel appears and you think, there's only one response. I'm going to die. And then you hear, not only are you not going to die, I'm giving you a joyful announcement. But how does that joyful announcement connect and replace my fear? I'll give you peace. How? Through a Savior. You mean I'm in need? Yes. And I think late at night, watching over the sheep by night, under the stars alone, you kind of know that, don't you? You kind of know you're in need. Right? The silence speaks very loudly, doesn't it? Yes. When I sit alone with my own thoughts, the truth of my mortality comes to me. And now I'm announcing to you a Savior has been born who will provide for your mortality. It's interesting too, and and you know this, but the definition of a Savior is simple. We sang it earlier. The definition, textbook definition of a Savior is deliverer. That is a shepherd sitting here thinking he's going to die and, and, and he is hearing announcement. You're not going to die, to die. Actually, you're going to be delivered. So it is we celebrate tomorrow morning, probably. I don't know if some of you did it this morning. Most of us will probably end up doing it tomorrow morning at Christmas morning. That time of family and, and fellowship and exchange and tokens and gifts and so forth. We must remember the Savior. That maybe even this providential time of holiday possible. Even the idea of what we're doing, analogous to the biblical story, right? Giving and exchanging gifts. This analogy only makes sense in light of a Savior who was given for us. That's what we must recall. For Jesus was born to rescue his people from certain death and destruction. We've sang this a number of times. Um, We didn't this morning, but we did just, I think, a couple of weeks ago. You recall this song. It says, quote, this is Jesus, Emmanuel, here with us, tell all the world. That's coming from the text. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. What kind of news? Great joy. For how many people should I tell about this? All the people. What is the joy? Emmanuel, or Jesus, Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this very day, to all of you in need, in the city of David, a Savior that is born unto you, and your condition is a deliverer. Who is he? He is Christ the Lord. 
This is Jesus, Emmanuel, here with us. Tell all the world, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. We are no longer lost. That's the word of the shepherds. Because he has come down for us. And then the song concludes, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Ironically, and this is kind of the last few moments I have with you this morning, but as you consider the quietness of that sacred and silent and holy night, where it opens up a scene where there's no noise at all, It's kind of a paradigmatic, right? For us to kind of recreate such holy or sacred silence so that we could hear the meaning of the biblical narrative. Ironically, Christmas season has become one of the noisiest and one of the loudest. Do you see the Bible is going this direction? And the way we often handle Christmas is going this direction. Do you see the irony? Oh, holy night. Silent night. A time of contemplation and solitude has become extreme noise of giving, meetings, appointments, sharing, exchanging, shopping, and the constant Christmas music I think we all listen to for like 35 days in a row or whatever that is. Noise. Noise. Do you think that's just coincidence? That a time where we would be drawn into silence and solitude, a time of contemplating what solitude necessarily brings at us, our place in life, our thought of the reality that we're all going to die, and where we go from here, has been... Overshadowed with noise to make you not think about that, to make you avoid that and avoid the announcement of the angels that provides for you in that moment. I don't think it's coincidental. So what do we do with it? Perhaps this, if I could just conclude this way. Maybe this Christmas, this Christmas season, doesn't have to be like tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. But perhaps this Christmas we need to recover solitude. Maybe we need to spend some time alone for a little bit. Maybe wake up early and be alone. Maybe stay up and be alone. Maybe take a walk and be alone. Not so that you can zen-like meditate. But your faith can rest on its truest object once again. So that perhaps what you can do as a believer is once again drown out the noise, welcome in the silence, and be moved to meditate upon the great God and Savior we have in Jesus Christ. And offer a time of prayer. Culture's telling you, 
glitz, glamour, and lights and gifts is what you need to worry and focus on. It was interesting the other day in the news, they said a new poll. Polls happen all the time. They're rather arbitrary. Nonetheless, points of interest. Eight out of ten Americans are more anxious now than they've ever been, I guess. How you even qualify that and what the question was that was asked them, who knows. But it doesn't seem to be that. I do think perhaps it is true that suicide rates go up at Christmas. Maybe we need the silence. And in the silence, hear the announcement of the gospel. Fear not in those moments. Draw near. For a Savior has been born for you. Tell all the world, we have a Savior. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. Let me just conclude by reading the last of the text and then we're done. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel. Can you imagine the shepherds? That must have been wild. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And and then notice the next statement that overwhelms the fear of your mortality. And on earth, peace. I'm so scared right now. No, don't be scared. I bring you good news. I bring you news of, on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, oh, we got to go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Quite a conversation, I'm sure. Verse 16, and they went with haste, no doubt. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You know what we heard tonight? There I was in the middle watching over the sheep. It was silent. It was dead silent. And I was thinking about many things in my life, and then all of a sudden, you won't believe what I heard. You won't believe what I saw concerning this child. And all who heard it, what the shepherds reported about the fear, about the word of not fearing not, about the word of blessing, everybody heard what was told to them, and they wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. She was receiving them, pondering them in her heart. What significance for the mother. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned. What's a natural response to hearing that your sins can be forgiven, that you can have peace with God on the earth, and that the fear of your own mortality can be overwhelmed with the peace of God? What is the natural response to one who's received such a message? Verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, we